0: Today's scripture reading is from Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 to Jonah chapter 4 verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So if you are just joining us today, we are in the book of Jonah. It's the the book of the Bible that's about the guy getting swallowed by the fish. And if you think there's something fishy about this story, if you think that uh, this is a whale of a tale, if you are having a hard time swallowing this one hook, line, and sinker, I talked about that a couple weeks ago. I know you know, puns are great when you repeat them, too, I think. so. Um, look, if you want to look at those, I talked about that two weeks ago. You can check that out on the podcast. We're looking at the story of Jonah. Jonah is a man who has run from God. God says, hey, go preach in what's modern-day Mosul, Iraq, the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And he, God says, go east. Jonah says, no thanks, I'm going west. And he go, gets goes to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, buys a one-way ticket from there to modern-day Spain, gets in the water, boats head across the water, storm comes up, (coughs) Jonah is thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. And last week we left it off with what is the great middle school moment of the book of Jonah. The fish vomits Jonah up on the beach. I mean, this is my favorite moment in the book of Jonah. You can picture the kids playing out in the surf. And, you know, all of a sudden the fish comes and, you know, here comes the guy who's all gooey looking and bald and blanched white skin and looking nasty, and it's like, mommy, mommy, look what I found in the surf. You know, the gross guy, right? So this is, that's where we left off is the middle school moment, um, and today we're picking up the rest of the story. So Jonah chapter 3. Now, a couple years ago, a couple years ago, the U.S. Army had an ad campaign, which went like this, army of one. And it was it was an ad campaign that was very short-lived because it was made fun of by guys like John Stewart who said, you know, Army of One, that's great. When we have you adjoin, we'll have an Army of Two. So it didn't last very long. And um, it was replaced by Be All You Can Be, then now uh, Army Strong, if you're keeping up with your Army commercials, right? So um, I know that as you listen to a, a... Let's read something like this. You listen to something like this, you're like... Okay, here it comes, the army of one sermon, right? I mean, and I would love to preach the army of one sermon. You know what the army of one sermon is, right? You too can be a city changer. You too could be like Jonah. Awesome. That would be a great sermon, and I was all ready to preach it, and then I read the rest of the book of Jonah. So, you know, you, if you are reading along here, you read Jonah, and you're like, this is awesome, He repents. You know, you see him. He gets spit out of the whale, and he and God says, "Go to Nineveh." And you can believe Jonah's like, "Look, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Narnia. I'll go to Nebraska." You know, like wherever you say. I don't want to do that again. So he obeys God and he goes and does this. And yet, and so if you get to the end of chapter three, yeah, you know, it's it's like the perfect story. Like here he comes. He preaches the world's shortest sermon ever. Five words. God says repent or else. And it's like my my dream. You know, 120,000 people say God's the real God. They fall on their face before God. They're like, God is real. And we're repenting. But, chapter 4. And this is where this gets to be a disappointment for me as a pastor. You know, I was really really ready to preach the army of one. And this... Story doesn't leave you on a high note. This isn't the way this story is supposed to end. You mean, Jonah's doing what? Look at him at the end of this passage. You know, it's it's like a page of the M. Night Shylaman movie. M. Night Shylaman's movies, he has these movies like, sorry to spoil this, the, the Village, The Sixth Sense, Signs, and you're watching it along, and suddenly you think you know where you're going, right? You think you know where the plot's headed. And you're like tracking with this. I know what's going to happen next. And suddenly you take a hard turn that you never saw coming. That's why you can't watch his movies more than once and get the same effect. So this is what this is like God pulled a page out of an M. Night Shy Woman movie script. Because you're going along. You're like, I know what's going to happen. The whole city repents. Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, wham. Right turn. Right turn here. You know, everything changes. The guy who's the hero suddenly turns out not to be that heroic. You know, who is the protagonist of the book of Jonah? Who is the person, protagonist, agonizes for the good? Definitely not Jonah. You know, who's the person who's the antagonist, who agonizes for the bad? It's the prophet. He's not a nice guy. You know, it's not a nice story. Look look what you see as we read this passage today. Especially we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What what does Jonah look like? Look at his face. Look at Jonah's face. It says here in verse 1 in the Hebrew, literally, his face became evil with the evil it saw. His face became evil with the evil it saw. You know what? Jonah has a scowl on his face. And then we're going to look where he's sitting. You know, verse 4 says that Jonah is sitting up on a hill overlooking the city. What is he doing? He's sitting there waiting for Hiroshima. Hiroshima. He's like, I'm waiting to watch the fireworks. I'm waiting to watch God drop the big one on this city. That's what he's excited about. God destroys stuff. And look what his prayer is. This is one of the most ridiculous, strange prayers in the Bible. You know, he says, look, you can almost hear him praying this, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4, with gritted teeth. God, this is what I knew would happen. You're so freaking gracious and kind and merciful. Now, kill me. You know, look. what was Jonah... We find out really what's going on with Jonah. Why did Jonah run from God? Why did Jonah run from God? He was not worried about what God was going to do to him. He was worried about what God was going to do for the Ninevites. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him. wasn't afraid of what God was going to do to him. He was worried... What is God going to do for these people? And, it, you know, Jonah turns out to be a guy who knows God pretty well. This is all I knew would happen. People start to repent. You just can't help yourself, can you, God? You just kind of love that stuff. A little sackcloth and ashes, and you're all over it. He knows God pretty well. You know, think about this. What does this sound like? Does this sound familiar to me? You? Okay, condemning, joyless... Comparing, anxious, uptight, unhappy, self-righteous, self-concerned people? Hmm. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Sounds like the American church. What are people's biggest beefs with Christianity? Self-righteous, anxious, judgmental, condemning. Angry, joyless. Man, you've heard those words. You and I both know those words. This is us, people. This is the home team. You know, we're supposed to be cheering, and it's like, eh. This is us. See, the book of Jonah ends with a surprise ending. You know, it shows us, here's a guy who knows God, knows what God's about, can give you the right answers, He even, look, look what he does. He repents. What a great guy. Chapter 2, we see him repenting. He's in the fish. That's what all that was about. To be a guy who's totally on with those things and yet opposed deep down to the purposes of God. It means that good people, home team, Christian people, you people, me people, can have all the right stuff and yet be down down opposed to God's purposes in this world. See, you know, I have an allergy to shellfish. Not selfish, I'm plenty selfish, but to shellfish. So, you know, when I was a kid, I used to be able to eat shrimp and scallops and, and crab and all that kind of stuff. And during high school, I started developing a reaction to it. My eyes would swell shut. I'd start acting like the fish in this story. I won't describe that. You know, I had some great allergic reactions. And what we see in this passage is it's very possible to be a person who says, yeah, I'm into all the Christian stuff, and yet be deeply allergic to God and his purposes. To say, I'm developing developing some hives here to who God is and what he really wants to do in this world. See, the book of Jonah is not a nice, neat story. In fact, it was written as a rebuke It was written, we get the end of the story because it's a rebuke to the people of Israel. In the constitutional documents, which is the early part of the Bible, in the the early part of the Bible, you read, the people of Israel, what were they supposed to be like? God said, I want you to be a blessing to the nations. I want to bless other people through you. And Jonah typifies the Israelite people. Because Israel failed to do this over and over again. And Jonah is like a picture. He's like a, a, like a big billboard for the Israelite people where God says, look at what you're like. You do the same things. You don't want to be a blessing to people around you. You know, they were, we see that in this story, And we're gonna, this is our roadmap for this week and next, they were two things. They were self-righteous, Jonah was self-righteous, and they self-concerned. And today I want to talk briefly with you about self-righteousness. Let me explain what I mean by self-righteousness. A lot of you have been to the fair, or the circus, or a museum, or the funhouse, where they have the hall of mirrors, the crazy mirrors, and you know that there are two types of crazy mirrors, right? There's the convex crazy mirror, and the concave crazy mirror, and I don't care if you remember which one's which, but one of them distorts your image by making you look really, really it, t- it takes your normal image, and it's bent in such a way that you stretch out, right? You, you look in the crazy mirror, and it stretches you way out, and you look really tall, And you can look over the next person next to you and they look normal, but you look over the crazy mirror at yourself and you're like super big. The next other kind of crazy mirror that you see in the fun house is the kind that makes everyone look short and fat. The very, you know, the the one that makes everybody look good. So like you look in the crazy mirror and you're like two and a half feet tall and maybe look like you weigh 700 pounds, right? So those are the two kinds of crazy mirrors and they roughly correspond to the way that self-righteousness works. See, self-righteousness, in self-righteousness, it's not that, it, it, when you look at yourself, it distorts our images of God and of yourself. So when you, in self-righteousness, you look in the mirror and when you look at yourself, your own reflection, you see the crazy stretched out version. And you see, you look over at the person next to you and you're like, I'm much taller than that person. And that's the operative word in self-righteousness, the word than. You see, in self-righteousness, people say, I'm good. They never say, I'm good. They say, I'm better than. They never say, I'm moral. I'm 100% perfect. No, they say, I'm more moral than. You know, this is the way that self-righteousness works. It always is by root comparative. It is essentially comparative. It says, stretch out me, look at someone else, they're smaller than me. At the same time, self-righteousness looks at God and shrinks God down. Looks at the, the picture of God, and it's like God, His holiness, His love, His compassion and grace, and shrinks it down really small. And see, what happens in this story is that God comes to Jonah, and Jonah has a stretched out view of himself and a shrunk down view of God, and God comes and replaces his mirrors. says, Jonah, will you see Yourself rightly, and will you see me in the right way? Will you take a look at yourself? See, this is why Jonah gets so angry. That's why Jonah gets so angry. Look at his prayer. He says in this prayer, he says, I knew you were God like this. I knew that you would do this. And then he says something a little weird. Did you see what he says? Kill me now. Kill me now. Verse 3. Please take my life from me. It is better for me to live than to die. What's he saying? God, if this is who you really are, I don't want to live in a universe with a God like you. I don't want to live in a universe with a God like you. That may sound ridiculous. That may sound so extreme. Why would Jonah say something like that? And see, Jesus found the same response in his day. Jesus would tell stories like this. He said, once upon a time, there was a guy who owned a vineyard. And he went out to the marketplace because he needed people to work for that day. And he said, look, I'll pay you a dollar a day for working in my vineyard. So at 6 a.m., he hires some people. They start to work. Needs more workers. Goes out at 9 a.m., hires some more people. They start to work. Hires some more people at noon. They start to work. Hire people at 3. They start to work. Hire people at 5. They start to work. Now, at the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard tells the foreman, pay everybody what they owe. So he starts with those who started the latest. The guys who worked at five, and he pays them a dollar. Then he says, hey, those of you who helped out at three, started at three, pays them a dollar. Those at noon, paid them a dollar. Those at nine, paid them a dollar. Those at 6 a.m., paid them a dollar. And the people listening to this said, what? And those who were helping out said, What? God, why, why would... Why, that's unfair. You know, everybody gets the same payment. And the owner of the vineyard says, this is what God... This is, says, what do you care if I'm generous with my money? If I'm foolish with my money, what is it to you? See, God's grace, God's kindness, God's sense that we look and we say, that's unfair... This was absolutely the reason why, one of the great reasons why the Pharisees in Jesus' day wanted to kill him. Not like the suspense is killing me, kill him. Like put him to death, tear him limb for limb, kill him. Because self-righteousness, self-righteousness, when you confront your own or someone else's self-righteousness, it is absolutely so essential in the core of our being that we would rather see God dead or ourselves dead. You know, as we look at this, look at the irony of self-righteousness. Here's Jonah, and he's just preached the world's shortest sermon. God says, repent or else. To the greatest maximum effect, all these people, this amazing response to who God is and what God's done. And Jonah is angry at this. Now, here's the guy who just, in the belly of the fish, is like, recognizes how he needs God's forgiveness. He needs God's grace. And yet, you know, when it comes down to offering that to someone else, he doesn't see it. So time out this morning. This isn't us, is it? I mean, we're Liberty Church, for crying out loud. I mean, our name means freedom. You know, we preach grace. You hear about grace a lot. You go to your home meetings, you hear about grace. Look at you, you're dressed like all kinds of stuff. There's no, like, dress code to be in here. We don't have lots of rules as a community. We're not self-righteous people, are we? Are we? Let me give you a test. See, we may not be like Jonah, who's sitting in the bleachers and saying, I can't wait for Hiroshima. I can't wait for God to bomb the city. But are we people who are sitting around? We're not people who, like Jonah, are praying for the destruction of people. God, would you just send fire from heaven? Would you just wipe out all the sinners? And yet, are we people who are praying for the salvation of our city? Here's the test. Here's your pop quiz this morning in self-righteousness. It's two questions. How many people are here in this room today because you... Have showed them the grace of God at work in your life. you 've told them about it. Who in your life, second question: who in your life is discovering Jesus and His grace because of you? Who in your life is discovering Jesus because of you? Look, I 'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But self-righteousness is not just demonstrated by anger. Self-righteousness is also demonstrated by apathy. By the degree to which we just don't give a damn. We don't care. So think about it this way. How many ads do you hear every day? How many advertisements do you hear every day? I'm not talking about how many advertisements you see every day. You know, there have been all kinds of academic studies that have shown that the average American sees 3,000 advertisements on a daily basis. 3,000 pitches for something. But how many ads do you hear on a daily basis? And what I'm talking about is hear in conversations with your friends. And the ads go like this. Hey, we tried out this great restaurant this weekend. Really? What was it? Where did you get that skirt? That is the cutest skirt. You know, that is my favorite beer. That is, that is my favorite beer right now. I love that. You know, I love my gym. I have the best gym. It's not the spandex pickup place. It's normal people. See, those are the kind of ads that we pass around all the time in our conversations. Now, how many of you, let's see, went to college or work in advertising or marketing? Anybody? Anybody here? Yeah, we've got a few. Maybe like 2% of us, right, worked in advertising. Okay, thank you. 3% of us worked in advertising or marketing. You know, but let me tell you something. Every person here is, is a specialist in advertising. Every one of us here are great. I mean, it, we are superb at doing advertising. You know, and this is what I mean. Look, we advertise what we believe in. We advertise the things that we believe in. We advertise the things that we're into. In our conversations, the things that you pass on, you're saying, hey, I'm into this beer. I'm into that skirt. I'm into that restaurant. I like that gym. That's our advertising. But here's the other thing. Here's why I know that you're good at marketing. That you, Those of you who are not over here or here and got the courses in marketing, this is how I know you're good at marketing because you always do market research. You say, here are the things that I'm into, but... I'm going to only advertise the things that I'm into that I know that people will like. So you don't advertise the fact that you have a Teddy Ruxpin collection at home or that you listen to Hootie the Blowfish late at night, right? Or that you like trans fats. You're not, you're not talking about that with your friends. And you know, you're not saying like, look, I think electric typewriters are sick. Why don't you advertise those things? Like, you don't advertise things that you know that people around you are not going to like. You don't talk about things you think are uncool or gross or outmoded or weird. Here's what I know about you, Liberty Church. That you're here because you love Jesus. One of the things I love hearing people come into Covenant on Sundays, people are like, yeah, this is what we want to be about. We want to be about Jesus. I am into Jesus. But why don't you advertise Jesus? Why don't you advertise Jesus? Jesus. It's because you don't think, you're doing market research. You're like, I don't think other people are going to be into him. I really don't think other people are into him. And look, I'm not saying that you're doing that because you think Jesus is outmoded or uncool or gross. I think it's much deeper than that. See, in my apathy, confession time here, in my apathy, there is something much deeper at work there's something much more profoundly deep going on in my own apathy and indifference to other people around me. You know, look, in my self-righteousness, I would never tell you this, but I would say I believe on a functional level that I'm a Christian because I'm smart, because I'm moral, and because I'm a good person, and because God needs me. Really believe that. And if, you know, your life rats you out that you believe that too. That you think, deep down, that you are in here. You're in God's family because you're good, and you're moral, and you're you're nice people, and God needs you. See, we all do this all the time. We divide the world into two categories. The type of people. You know, there's the type of people who will be Christians, and there's lots of the type of the people who won't be Christians. You know, and if you're at all like me, your life reveals a deep apathy... A deep apathy toward other people's salvation. And you're not looking around and you're saying, I believe those people are bad and dumb and amoral. You're not saying that. It's that you don't think you are bad, dumb, and amoral. See, the Christian gospel is not about getting good at being good, is it? The Christian gospel says that God comes to those who say to him, I am more bad than ever thought. I'm not smart enough if Jesus was laid on a silver platter in front of me to reach out my hand and grab hold of him. I would run from him at every chance. And I'm not really as moral as I make other people think. That if you played the tape of my thought life on public screen, everyone would be shocked. See, biblical Christianity is not about God getting good at being good. It's getting good at repenting and saying, God is good and I really need him and so do other people around me. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you one more question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus can transform Philadelphia? Do you believe that Jesus can transform Philadelphia? Me neither. Me neither. That's a problem. See, the longer I'm here, I hear people say things like, Philadelphia is such a a place that's so opposed to the gospel. It's so hard. People here are hard-hearted. They don't really want to hear about this. And you know what I've found? I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that our city is that hard to Jesus. I don't believe that people are that hard-hearted Are that distant or far off and removed. You know what I think is hard? Our hearts. That's what's hard. My heart and your heart. You know how I know that's true? Just from the passage we read today? Because here's the city of Nineveh. In Assyria. And God says one five word phrase. See how the people responded? They said God's talking to us. Not Jonah. They're saying God is talking to us. And with five words, the worst sermon in human history, they turn like that. How many times does God have to talk to his prophet? A lot. God's got to produce a fish to get his guy, his prophet, his good guy, on the right track. See, it's not that the hearts of all those people out there are really hard to Jesus. It's that our hearts are. You know, I was rebuked by this this past week. Um, This week we had our In Covenant Sunday. Last week, one of our sister churches in our movement, Liberty East, had their In Covenant Sunday. And a guy came into covenant who's been 10 years in the making. I met this guy 10 years ago, and he was hanging out with Steve Huber, and he was the craziest guy. I've got lots of stories that I cannot tell about him this morning. We're going to turn PG sermon into a lot worse, okay? I got lots of stories. Whoa! I got lots of stories about this guy. The only one I can tell is I remember him changing his pants out in, on the street in Northeastern Road in Glenside in front of the church. Like, you know, I look out the window and he's out there getting naked and putting on a different set of pants before he comes in to meet with Steve Huber. That's the only story I can tell. So this guy has been 10 years in the making and we've watched him kind of come in, hang out a little bit and then walk away come in and hang out and walk away he has been a mess he is a mess amoral not good not smart screwed up his life over and over again the guy became a Christian and was baptized last Sunday and my my eyes filled with tears hearing this I had given up praying for this guy about 8 years ago and yet God didn't God had not done so Look, as your pastor, let me be really candid with you. I love to write uh, sermons for you. I love to write sermons. In fact, I'm preparing this book of Jonah sermon, you know, back in April. And I'm like, this will be great for liberty. This will be so good for you guys. And what has God been doing in my life? He's been asking me the same Jonah question. Jeff, are you Jonah? Now, look, I can do preacher talk. I can do preacher talk just fine. I can say, we're all Jonah. Sure we are. We're all Jonah. But this is what God's brought across my plate. Jeff, you are Jonah. You don't give a damn. You don't care. Deep down, there's a self-righteousness, which is the greatest barrier to my working in this city. See, I am so glad that this book doesn't end at the end of chapter 3. Because it's written for me. And it's written for you. And this is where the story turns from being a, a mission story Army of one to a love story. To a love story. Look, it's so amazing how God works in this book. It's so clear that God loves this people in Nineveh, but God also loves this prophet. And God clearly could have done anything he wanted to. He did not need this guy. If God can produce a fish to come swallow him and bring him back on course, God surely could have found someone else to go. But God's committed to Jonah. He loves Jonah. He's calling Jonah. This is what I know. God loves Philadelphia. God loves Philadelphia. But he also loves you. And he doesn't need you to be a part of his plan for the city. But in his love, he is pursuing you. In his love, he is coming after you and saying, really? Really? You can say, God, you're so gracious and compassionate. But really? In God's love, he is inviting us to be a part of his transforming work in this city. Look, there are a lot of you who are social workers and in city planning and architecture. And you know, a lot of you work in offices that have great designs on our city. And I'm glad that you're in those places. We need Christians serving in all those different industries. We need people who are saying, I want to see the city of Philadelphia better. There are lots of people who would love to see chapter 3, verse 8 happen in Philly. That people gave up on their violence. Wouldn't we love to see that? Look, but the Bible shows us the only way a city is truly changed is by repentance. By repenting. Repenting means that I take my distorted view of self and I trade that in for God's mirror. The real view of me. Repenting means I take my distorted view of God, the shrunk down version of his holiness and love and compassion and mercy, and I replace that with a real view that helps me see that God is a tremendously just and yet a tremendously compassionate God and he loves. And that I'm not who I thought I was And that God is much bigger than I thought he was and his purposes are much greater for me in this city. Look, here's the Jonah principle. The Jonah principle is that God works through repenting. And my call to us today is to see how God might work in our lives, for the good of people around us, as we repent of our self-righteousness, as, if, as we say, I'm not as good as I thought, God is merciful and gracious, and those other people deserve it absolutely as much as I do. And you know what? They're not that hard. I'm the one who's hard. You know, a man recently shared with me about how he'd been reaching out to his neighbors over and over and over again, inviting them to church, you know... He'd been a moral guy, been an upright guy, showing people how moral and upright he was. And it wasn't until he actually sinned against them and did something that was not very neighborly, to say the least, and had to go and confess and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? This is what I believe about being a Christian is God offers me forgiveness and I need yours. I need to ask you for yours. And that was the moment when God began, in that repenting, before that other person, to change that relationship. To change that relationship. How are people going to come to know Christ in our city? How are we, we going to change? It's through, how is our city going to change? It's through God changing us. My invitation for you today is to recognize your self-righteousness. That you fundamentally believe a false gospel and you apply that to yourself all the time, and you need to cash in your view of that and so that you might, one, enter into his joy, and two, be an agent of his grace in this city. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you, and we thank you that you are a compassionate and loving God, and that your mercies are always fresh for your people. We pray today as we come that you would help us to lay at your feet and say our Our damnable righteousness is what prevents us from coming to you and us from really knowing you and allowing other people to know you. I pray, Lord God, that you would meet us today by the power of your spirit, that you would give us joy in throwing off our righteousness and coming and taking this supper in your name. Amen. Amen.